Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Everybody, mate, Steve Khan here, and you are tuning in to the NCFA's newest podcast series, Fintech Fridays. Today, I have an absolutely incredible guest. I know I say this every week, but I truly, truly do have an incredible guest today. Today, I have Jonathan Holland, the CEO and founder of Curex, and he's my boss. So, everybody, please play nice. Uh, Jonathan, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, Manny. How's it going? I'm doing really well. So, for the audience who don't know who you really are, could you, just for a minute, Give us a little bit, little breakdown of who you are and essentially what Curex does. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so, yeah, basically I looked at the world of banking uh, like, you know, technology hadn't really affected it in a meaningful way yet. It was one of the last industries to really be innovated. So about four years ago, I decided to build this business um, basically out of necessity. I applied at all the banks. I mm-hmm. wanted to be an investment banker. Nobody would give me an interview. <laughs> so out of that, I decided to build a foreign exchange business. And out of that business, we essentially help small companies that need to send money to different countries in different currencies. And uh, and then we launched another product which allows them to accept uh, debit card payments online. I'm gonna say debit card, I don't mean the Interact Rails and uh, definitely avoiding Visa MasterCard Rails. Um, and it allows any e-commerce business to integrate our one line of code and you can accept debit card payments in 10 minutes. Um, so I kind of built those kind of two businesses and now we're starting to roll and it feels good. Awesome. So um, the secondary product is under a whole different name, which is originally, so it's under SmartPay, right? So initially you started yeah. as SmartPay, then you changed the Curex, now it's back to SmartPay. I guess, why'd you kind of go back and forth? Like, why didn't you just kind of stick to one topic? And is it like, are you building two different companies? Like, is it under a whole umbrella? How does it really work? Honestly, Manny, it's a mess, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so basically... <laughs> Uh, basically what I did is it started out as student currency exchange. Mm-hmm. So when I started the business, it was to help international students pay for tuition around the world. Of course. From there, I realized that uh, it was hard enough to get banking relationships in our own country here in Canada, let alone get relationships globally. Because I'd have to accept money from India um, for someone in India to come to school to Canada and make those payments. So it was student currency exchange, and then it basically I pivoted to what I called SmartPay. It ended up being our legal name, SmartPay Incorporated, and that was basically an online foreign exchange business for the small business owners that are out there. And then from there, it essentially uh, kind of changed. We kind of did a doing business under name uh, called Curex, C-U-R-E-X-E. That ran for you know a number of years, and then when we launched this new debit card. Uh, payment processing company, which is still the same company. It's just two different products mm-hmm. that we have. But uh, because um, you know we still use that SmartPay name before, thought let's just bring it back. We have a logo. You know, we got the domain, so it was easy to kind of jump into it. So there's no real rhyme or reason. It's just happened to like name changes and pivots and all that kind of good stuff for the startup. So, so could you talk a little bit more of the whole? debit processing side because I'm, I'm pretty sure probably not many people know of the fees that that entails if you're using Visa or MasterCard and or PayPal um, as an online merchant, as an online seller. Could you talk a little bit more of why you decided to just build a whole different system and kind of why we're doing this whole David versus Goliath thing? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, like it, it came out of necessity from our customers. So all of them had a need to make payments to international suppliers in different currencies. That was Curex, the first product. Um, And then they all kept complaining about accepting PayPal payments. 
And it wasn't necessarily PayPal that was the problem. Like the system works fine. The problem was the fees for the business. Keep in mind, it should be clear. If you're an online shopper out there, you don't ever pay anything. You never pay anything with PayPal or mm. credit cards when you're online shopping. And the business owners always charge this 2.9% of their revenue that never seems to go away. But if you're accepting money from different countries, PayPal is going to force you to exchange those different currencies from, say, U.S. dollars accepting U.S. customer payments back to Canadian if your bank accounts are in Canada. But with that conversion, there's an added cost of three and a half percent, two and a half to three and a half, depending on different credit cards and stuff as well. Um, so that ends up being 6.4% of your top line revenue. And if you look at a business with a net profit margin of 10%, you're eating into half your profits. So the businesses were complaining. Uh, we realized that we had the technology to uh, basically make it easy to collect the information that we needed. And we had the bank accounts and the bank relationships to be able to pull funds from an online shopper's account. Um, so that's what we've done. We've made it very simple. Uh, putting in your credit cards easy. I'll be honest, I have good credit. I don't even think I would ever use my own product. I always use credit card. I'm not a points junkie like some people. Some people care about their points. Other people, there's a percentage of the population that don't like getting in debt because they're starting to learn more or they don't even own a credit card at all for that reason. They just don't want to be in debt. But there's no option that's that viable to buy a product online outside of credit card or PayPal. So what do you do? You have to sign up for a PayPal account or if they don't offer PayPal, you have to get a credit card. So some people just don't shop or they drop off and checkouts. Yeah, I, I think it's the, um, I think it's a lack of education thing, right? I think it's like now, like, yeah. like kind of what you mentioned, right? Like people are getting a lot more smarter and knowing a little bit more of how credit score works, what you should and shouldn't do when you get a credit card and just like what good credit really does and like kind of how much it opens right. so much more doorways, right? So it's, it's kind of incredible that you guys are, we, we are kind of providing a not only a great system to help business owners save a crap ton of money that can go right back into the business and help them grow, but you're also providing a very good education behind them and like teaching people, hey, this is not the only way you can do it. There's other ways you can do it, and we're building a system to help you understand that. That's definitely right. Right. Could you talk a little bit more of the regulations behind this and just regulations being a money service business in general? So we have these special bank accounts, essentially, that allow us to pull money from any Canadian or U.S. bank account. Now, because we have that capability, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. So we're registered what's called a money service business. As a money service business, uh, you're, we're very highly regulated. It's FinTrack in Canada, FinCEN in the U.S., they basically have very strict uh, rules that you have to apply when you're dealing with money launderers out there, uh, terrorist financing. Like, there's a lot of like global sanctions lists that we scrape, uh, screen names. Like, we need to make sure that the bad guys aren't able to move money around with our system, and the regulations make sure that we're reporting and at least giving them all the information that they need. That if there was a deep investigation, that they would be able to at least maybe track down those individuals, the bad guys, the bad actors, um, and then do something about it. So what, what happens is FinTrack or FinCEN will collaborate with law enforcement and they'll be able to essentially help stop terrorism uh, or funding, I guess, of terrorism and money laundering as well, which is obviously a big issue with lots of criminal organizations and the bad stuff that can happen with that. So we're very regulated. Uh, we have annual reviews. There's like every two years we have a review from our federal regulator, which is a very serious kind of event. And uh, we just always have to make sure we're on top of this stuff for moral issues and for the laws that we have to follow as well. 
So being a money service business, you're definitely going to deal with a lot of fraud or have you have a way higher potential risk of fraud. Could you talk a little bit more of what fraud prevention you're putting in place and talk a little bit more of what you're seeing that's there and like pretty much the loopholes of fraud prevention, kind of hoping that kind of gets filled in moving forward? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, like fraud happens like, you know, money service business is a broad term. So a money service business could be uh, that little kiosk in the mall where you can go and exchange your Canadian to euros before you go to Europe. Um, I mean, you could wash money through that and stuff, but fraud is probably less prevalent, assuming they check the bills and under lighting and everything because there could be, I guess, counterfeit. Um, but with online uh, money transfer businesses, there's always that risk, right? I mean, you can create a business fairly easily, get it registered, open up an online store, start accepting payments with uh, no intention of you know paying the people, basically just ripping off uh, shoppers, never sending products out. So us as a business, we have to be able to combat against this stuff. So we do a really strict analysis on the business. How long have they been in business? Um, identify all the individuals in the business, pull corporate reports from different sources um, so that we can make sure the business is legitimate. We'll even go as far as talking to their end customers, making sure that things are smooth. Um, so we do a lot of in-depth stuff that a fraudster pretty much can't avoid, which is what really helps us kind of combat against these guys. And then outside of that, a lot of fancy technology stuff where we track IP addresses, we um, screen uh, different computers, we have different recording systems. I'm being very vague here for a reason, because the deeper I go, the more knowledge I'm giving out there. And then these fraudsters, because there's an entire industry around this stuff, like there's conferences that I've been at that, that explain to me there's conferences for hackers and, and how to rip off credit card lists and like, you know, all this stuff that's happening. So they have like conventions in Vegas to teach people how to rip people off with their credit cards, wow. right? So, and credit cards are very easy to rip off. Luckily, your credit card company uh, reimburses you, of course, at no cost to them. Mm-hmm. The, the online shoppers don't realize this, but if somebody steals your credit card, buys a product from the store, Visa MasterCard are, is not out the money. That's why their stock charts a 45 degree angle up and to the right. Essentially, the business owner loses that money. So this could be a small business owner, uh, you know, you name it, uh, that is now out those funds and that's a loss that they have on their books. So it's definitely a serious thing. That's why people should be very diligent about making very secure passwords. My passwords are uh, anywhere from 25 characters to 64 characters, random numbers, letters, and symbols. It has to be that way. Use a password manager that makes it easy. You don't have to retype it in. You don't have to pull out a piece of paper and type it in. Um, And it makes your life easier and safer. And then you're helping business owners that are out there as well. Because the fraud that happens in this industry, it's amazing what they've came up with to fraud systems and everything. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we do. Um, I just want to make sure I don't give away too much information. No, no, no. Can somewhat crack the code, which they still, we have endpoints that are manual. They can't, but still helps. Right. Canada's been on the up of AI. So do you see, I guess, AI playing a role in helping Curex and other businesses like Curex in the future? No, absolutely. I mean, AI is going to touch every industry, I think, in a very meaningful way, uh, especially in the payment side. Now, um, the ones that have the most advantage are the ones with the most data. So you have to work with banks, you have to work with organizations that are willing to share data. Um, Visa, MasterCard have built some pretty good rules. You'll notice now, if you go uh, on a trip, oftentimes they'll say you don't have to call the credit card company. It's because you probably booked it through a flight, through a booking thing, and they're sharing the data back and forth, which is actually good, I think, for the end uh, customer. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in general, there's a lot of 
I guess, interesting things going on in the space from that angle. And, uh, and we're all just doing what we can. I mean, AI will change a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I haven't seen a lot of very developed AI that really has helped us besides maybe Visa, MasterCard doing what they do. Keep in mind, the online shopper, it doesn't matter how you pay. You never get charged anything. You never get frauded any money. Um, you'll ultimately get your money back. I mean, if there's a unique scenario where there was big complications, um, then just make sure, like I said, like protect your password securely. Um, it, what would happen is it would take a longer period of time for the resolution to happen if it was something bigger. So if you're a wealthy individual and you're listening to this, just be very secure with all your passwords and stuff, which you probably already are because you've probably had an incident happen at some point. For anybody that's just using a typical credit card, they just give you your money back. You never have to worry. So there's no stress about buying something online. And that's why the market's growing at 15% year over year uh, with online shoppers. Everybody's going online. It's easy. You know, people are starting to order groceries online. It's, it's becoming a more convenient world. And, and I think that there'll be more uh, shopping that are moving online from that. Right. Yeah. Speaking of online shoppers, um, you are seeing a growth, maybe not nothing too crazy, but you are seeing a growth of people buying items or through crypto. Yeah. Right. So do you see... How do you how do you see crypto playing a role in this? Do you do you guys see that Curex later on accepting crypto? Do you guys see maybe launching an ICO? Like, what's your take on servicing cryptos? So I, the reason I love cryptocurrency is because I started studying it in 2014. I looked at crypto like this is going to be the next thing that could rip away my business. Now a lot of interesting things have happened with Bitcoin. The way it took off is, is honestly like magical. Is probably mm-hmm. the best word to describe it because for the network effects and everybody to get that on board with. You know, and really what it is, is now finally someone can compete with money transfer businesses and banks and stuff like that. So it it was very exciting to see the way it took off. It still hasn't proven itself to be viable in the market. And what I mean by that is the volatility, and I'll I'll explain if uh, a lot of the viewers aren't very uh, finance uh, savvy, but the volatility, so Bitcoin can move 5% in a day. If you're a business owner accepting a hundred bucks with crypto and within that day, it drops to 95. That literally, with the PayPal fees as well, could cripple your Mm -hmm. entire 10% net profit margin like we discussed before. So the volatility and the movement of it, it can go in your favor and you make 105 bucks, but it could also go against you. The business owners aren't typically comfortable with that kind of risk. So what needs to happen, and any bankers listening, please push for this within your, your banks, become a market maker for crypto. And a market maker is basically, you provide a lot of liquidity, a lot of dollars, like billions of dollars, and buy and sell and take take both sides of the trade. So you sell side and buy side in any given market. And that's why you have a very liquid market, meaning you can get in and out in seconds. So for example, you buy a Walmart stock, your order executes instantly. If you buy a small cap company, meaning they're you know a smaller size company, it might only trade three times throughout the day. So you can only have three times where a buyer and a seller are willing to agree on a price and then and then uh, you know an exchange happens. So with crypto, you're having more liquidity, but the spreads are still crazy. Like the volatility is moving by 5% in the day, like I said. So if you have market makers come in, it basically reduces that volatility, not 5%, but smooths it out basically. <laughs> and if it's more smooth, then at least the business can accept the crypto and, and then you know convert back to fiat and not have to worry. Um, ideally, in a perfect world for like, I'm 
I'm talking consumers, business owners, everybody adopts crypto and everybody just uses it as a currency because it's the fees are much lower. The system's very secure. It's a secure you know, network of nodes and all those nodes literally have to agree on all the transactions that happen or it doesn't go through. There's no duplicate of money. Like there's oftentimes the SWIFT network, our international payment network gets hacked and money gets lost. Like you'll hear about it but they keep it very quiet as to like what's actually happening you know, around the world. Uh, crypto and, and Bitcoin has risks like this as well because it's early, but it does have that potential to become something that uh, would be very viable. I, I personally didn't invest in crypto because it's, it's a, it's a buy-sell thing. It's, um, it's like Warren Buffett says, why would you buy a piece of gold? And the reason he says this, you have a bar of gold and you have to buy things. So what you do is you clip off a little piece of gold and you pay for your groceries that day. And you clip clip off a piece of gold and you buy clothes for the day for your family, whatever it is. Eventually you clip off enough little pieces of that gold bar, you don't even have a gold bar at the end of it. What Warren Buffett would rather do is buy a piece of land that has the store of value, which is what crypto kind of has. I mean, Bitcoin with the scarcity of the coins gives it somewhat of a perceived value, like the scarcity of diamonds or gold, right? So if you have a piece of land and it produces you crops, every year you can mine those crops, then buy your food and everything. And you still have that piece of land, you still have the store of value. With Bitcoin, you're, you're saying it's worth 10,000, but you're only saying it's worth 10,000 because everybody's agreed it's 10,000. If everybody agreed tomorrow it's worth 100, it'll go to 100. Or it'll go to 100K like some people are predicting. So I'm unsure where the price of, of crypto will go, but I love the fact that it could actually come in and, and start to transact. Like businesses have to accept it widely and individuals have to start paying with it. And then hopefully we see the network effects take off and maybe commerce will begin that way, you know? Yeah, I know I've mentioned in a couple episodes past, you're seeing a lot of institutions and banks starting to get on the crypto market to like try to, in a sense, bring both worlds together where you have like deregulations and like the traditional marketplace into the new marketplace, the whole decentralization and everything. So so you're seeing like a bridge, if not a maybe arranged marriage being built around it. So yeah, it, it should be very interesting to see um, how it goes in the next 18 to 24 months. To wrap this up, what would be, other than make sure you secure your passwords, make sure you're, you're paying attention to where your money's going, what would be your advice to either online merchants, small business owners, um, and anybody else that's in the industry? I mean, it, it depends. That's a very like broad question, so if we go a number of different ways, but online merchants, there are other services available. Like Because we've launched this demo card solution, I know there's gonna be several other players that are coming in and they're gonna build their, a new type of credit card or like different type of payment systems using crypto to make online payments. That's some exciting uh, areas that it could move into. So I would say to online merchants, especially if you're doing big volume, that 2.9% and then the FX stuff as well that you're getting dinged with, that matters to your business. So look for other solutions. It doesn't necessarily have to be lower cost and sacrifice quality, right? Because there's there's products out there that can still have the same quality, but you also get to save a bit of money while you're doing it. So the merchant should do that. Online shoppers, I mean, ultimately, you know, your personal finances are important. Uh, do what you can to save your money. Getting into debt is obviously not that smart. Uh, Interacting Canada has a lot of ads about this, like back in the black, meaning, you know, back in the positive. Uh, I don't think the general population usually knows that black is positive and red is uh, negative, but, you know, maybe they should switch that degree and maybe I'm giving them, you know, uh, some food for thought there. But um, so, you know, it's, it's good, I think, as a consumer to make sure that you're saving your money. So be mindful of what you're spending on. Uh, and when you do spend it, I would say use debit, but I'm biased. But yeah. Um, I think it's better to not get in debt. 
Awesome. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Um, this has been very educational for me, even though I'm in the company. But I'm pretty sure a lot of people might have learned a thing or two. And hopefully everyone's changing their passwords like I am going to in the next uh, 30 seconds. And I can't wait to have you on the show again, man. Yeah, happy to be here, Manny. All right. Cheers. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.